Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast that has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who keeps chugging along no matter what lies on the tracks, my co-host Lydia. I thought you were going to say the leader of the express. Wait, <laughs> was that what it was? The express? <laughs> Let's just say I keep everything moving forward, rolling on, rolling on through the tunnels of our imagination. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in to this month's episode. Orphaned Entertainment is available wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you choose to listen. If you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platforms you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as our YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films we've covered. And if you follow that link, you can also learn how you can support the show financially. And I should mention that we have had many people do that in the recent months, and we appreciate it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And I am very happy to say we have an email. This email actually came in early August. It's been a while. I forgot about it the last time we recorded. So I wanted to uh, go ahead and read this this time. This is from uh, John Runyon. And he says, I love The Red House from 1947. To me, it is one of the most Freudian films ever. And Danny Peary's review of King Kong, his theory is that Skull Island represents the subconscious mind of Carl Denham. This theory can easily be applied to the Oxhead Woods in Edward G. Robinson's character in The Red House. Just as the dark memories of the past are repressed, or at least he attempts to repress them, in the back of his mind, the Red House is buried deep within the Oxhead Woods. Robinson cannot guard the Oxhead Woods. He has a bad leg, often in cinema Freudian term uh, a lame leg equals impotence he hires a much younger much more virile virile man for the job who is always popping off his rifle a phallic symbol when the teens go searching for the red house their quest is in vain as one non-believer is present and distractions are plenty yet when the young girl goes to sleep her subconscious mind unlocks the deep buried memory of the secret location of the red house she awakens and goes straight to it that's a really interesting take on that. I don't know if any of that was intentional, but it was. it's a really interesting take. It is. It's super interesting. And I didn't realize it's actually just as well I saved it because he, he mentioned uh, King Kong and the character of Carl Denham. And we've got Robert Armstrong yes. in this film who played Carl Denham. Yeah. So it all, it all works out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, John, for the email. And I'm sorry it took us so long to get to it. Yeah, I hope no, you're still listening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and I, I know we talked about how much we liked The Red House when we reviewed The Red House, but it's worth mentioning, you know, if, if anybody listening hasn't watched that, listened to that episode, it's worth going back for. There are a few movies that we just love to bring up over and over on the channel, and I think probably The Red House will be one that we mention again. Mm, no, absolutely. Well, that, let's go ahead and listen to an Ellery Queen one-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will hit the rails and watch out for 1930s Danger Lights. Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. 
This is Ellery Queen with a case I call the bathtub murder. Popular and respected Chauncey Miles was found dead, electrocuted in his own bathtub, and the police asked me to join the investigation. A butler named Brady said that Mr. Miles must have electrocuted himself when he touched a radio by the bathtub. Did he always keep a portable radio by the tub, I asked? No, said the butler, and that's why he's dead, poor man. I searched the bathroom further, and when I found tiny scratches on a pipe near the tub, I knew I had a murderer, the butler. In a moment, I'll tell you why. Life gets busy, and there's always new movies in theaters or shows on one streaming service or another. Too many, some would say. Yeah, it's almost impossible to see everything when it first comes out. So we all become time shifters. On the Time Shifters podcast, we discuss and review films and television from past and present. And sometimes from the future. (laughs) We also share some discussions with filmmakers and actors, talk about genre news, and share some occasional convention coverage. So tune in to the Time Shifters podcast. Available wherever podcasts can be found or by visiting timeshifterspodcast.com. In the case of the bathtub murder, it's not possible to electrocute yourself in a tub with a portable radio. It's merely powered by batteries. The scratches I found on the pipe proved that the butler had wired the tub for murder. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. Danger Lights is a pre-code drama distributed by RKO Pictures. It was directed by George B. Seitz and stars Louis Wolheim, Robert Armstrong, and Gene Arthur. I didn't realize when we chose this film that it starred Wolheim. We really liked him in the film we covered several months ago, The Silver Horde. Mm-hmm. So uh, here he is again. The film revolves around the railroad industry, specifically the Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, and Pacific, better known as the Milwaukee Road Railroad. The movie was largely filmed on their lines in Montana. The rail yard was in Miles City, and the primary rail line used was the 16-mile canyon. Additional footage was shot in Chicago, Illinois, where Milwaukee Road was headquartered. As well as being shot in standard format, this film was the first feature film shot in a new widescreen format called Natural Vision. This format used an experimental 65mm film that had a 2 to 1 aspect ratio. Advertisements proclaimed that it brought the viewer the feeling of three dimensions as a larger format would make it appear as if the characters were performing on stage. Unfortunately, only two theaters in the country were capable of projecting anything this large. The film was shown in State Lake Theater in Chicago and the Mayfair Theater in New York City. Sadly, no copies of this widescreen print are known to exist today. Danger Lights may also have an additional place in history as it features the rare footage of two locomotives involved in a tug-of-war, as well as documentary footage of the Mile City Rail Yard, and what is believed to be the only footage of the diameter car from the steam railroad era. This car was attached behind the engine's tender and would measure the locomotive's performance, including pulling force, power, and top speed. In this film, a mountain slide blocks a rail line, and a and gruff, no-nonsense Dan Thorne grabs all the men he can to help clear it. This includes several rail-riding freeloaders. One of them tries to fight Dan rather than be put to work. Dan lays them out, and appreciating that the guy would even think to take a swing at him brings him back to the rail yard he discovers that larry doyle was a railroad engineer who was fired for insubordination 
Dan takes a liking to him and hires him on the spot, a little to Larry's annoyance. Later, Larry meets Dan's fiancée, Mary, and the two are immediately spitting with each other. Dan finds it hard to spend any quality time with Mary and puts Larry in charge of escorting her to a bonfire dance while Dan goes to help another rail worker who has just lost his wife. While walking home over a railway bridge, the two have, a, have to jump uh, on a safety platform as, the, as a train speeds by, and while there, the two share a kiss. During another disaster on the line, Mary's father witnesses her and Larry running off together and tells Dan. Larry gets his foot trapped in a rail switch just as Dan catches up to them. He rescues Larry, but is struck by the train, leaving him on the brink of death. Only a record-breaking five-hour train ride to Chicago Hospital gives Dan any chance of survival. I don't think we spoke a whole lot about uh, Louis Wolheim when we watched The Silver Horde, so here's a little more info. He was an actor of stage and screen, and because of his large, gruff appearance, he would often find himself cast in the role of a thug or a heavy in the movies. But on stage, he was able to explore outside of that particular pigeonhole. His movie career was mainly in the silent era due to his early death at the age of 50 in 1931. He graduated from Cornell University with an engineering degree and went on to teach mathematics, even teaching for six years at Cornell. Now, how he made his way to the stage, I was not able to uncover, but he reportedly met John and Lionel Barrymore, who encouraged him to enter films. He appeared in several Lionel Barrymore serials and four films with John. He was almost immediately typecast, but was occasionally able to break out of it. He played a rambunctious sergeant in 1927's Two Arabian Nights and a comic Russian officer in 1928's Tempest. Robert Armstrong, as we mentioned earlier, uh, is probably best known for starring in the 1933 King Kong, where he speaks the famous line, It wasn't the airplanes, it was beauty killed the beast. He would go on to star in Son of Kong, and since he somewhat resembled King Kong producer and adventurer Marion C. Cooper, Keeper used him in several adventure-style films as a sort of stand-in for himself. Jean Arthur was discovered by Fox Studios in the early 1920s, where she got a one-year contract and debuted in a small role in the silent film Cameo Kirby, which was directed by John Ford. In 1923, she had her first lead role in The Temple of Venus, and it's at this point that I realized we learned about her at some length when she appeared in The Silver Horde as, <laughs> as Mildred Whalen. So please do go back to that episode to learn more about Jean Arthur. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, it, we've come to the point where we've just we've gone through so many actors now and we've seen so many films that we're actually starting to see repeat actors. And I'm looking and I'm digging up information and I'm, Boy, this seems really familiar. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice, though. It's really, uh, it, it's, like, I know in several movies we've seen actors where we've said, it would be so nice to see this actor in another film and see how they do. And so it's fun. We're finally getting to do that. <laughs> and we're finally getting to see, you know, oh, it was, well, in this case, it's funny that these two happened, I think, as close as they did. And it's nice because we're able to, you know, remember Oh, it wasn't 10 years ago. It was a year ago that we were doing The Silver Horde. And so it's nice to be able to say, oh, yeah, I remember really liking him. I remember really liking her in this. These were excellent actors. Right. And so it's fun to see them in this, too, and go, actually, now let's talk about this movie <laughs> before I give you my opinion on them in this movie. 
it's it wasn't intentional. It was partially intentional. You know, after we watched Silver Horror, the next film we watched, we watched, uh, and I'm blanking on the actress's name. We were were so in love with her. We wanted to watch another film with her. But I had no idea that so close down the line, we'd still be tied back to the Silver Horde. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) With both Wolheim and uh, and Arthur. Yes. So on to Danger Lights. Right out of the gate, this is one of the noisiest films I think we've ever watched. (laughs) It, so much of it takes place in the uh, roundhouse and rail yard of the of the railroad. It is a noisy, noisy film. It is, but which is unfortunate at times because they're in the roundhouse, they're having conversations while a working railroad is going on behind them, and there are times where you're like straining to really make out what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. I watched two very, well, I was going to say two very different versions. They weren't very different versions, but one of them was artificially colorized. And, um, and I think I mentioned real briefly to you, I, I kept cracking up. I have the subtitles on, but they're automatically generated. And so anytime there was a train, it always either said applause or it said music. And I was cracking up because the, the subtitles just didn't know what to do with this huge, overwhelming influx of noise. You know, we're able to pick up the differences because we're humans. But there, unfortunately, neither of the versions I watched had any really clear audio available and it's really too bad for me that was uh, interestingly that was the biggest detractor for this movie and that is just a product of age it's not anything anything to do with the movie itself right no i agree no it was i mean i ended up uh, starting to watch it a little bit just before we recorded and i was able to I, i put it on my computer and i could listen with the earbuds and that helped a little uh but trying to watch it on like on the TV in the living room. Yeah, there are so many moments where it's just... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I was cracking up because I kept saying... We kept, you know, just reading the subtitles was hilarious because it would say, no, damn, and it was supposed to be damn. It was damn. And then they kept calling Mary Gary. And so we were were cracking up because it got so many words wrong and you could hear what they were trying to say. Of course, yes, it it was... you know, very degraded and and loud, but you could understand most of what they're trying to say. And of course, in context, it made perfect sense. But then to see the subtitles, actually, the second time watching it was was really funny, not because the movie's that funny, but because just the subtitles were so far off that it actually made it a little bit comedic. So I, and all that to say, I don't recommend watching it with subtitles unless you're looking for a comedy, in which case you might find something to chuckle at. But uh, unfortunately, the subtitles I found were also not helpful. So just be prepared watching this movie if you haven't yet. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle for the sound, but I still think it's worth watching this movie. Mm, no, very much. If nothing else, because of that... Uh the visuals of working in uh, that you're seeing inside that rail house or the railroad and inside that roundhouse. That is incredible. I was kind of really taken just by that. I'm watching this whole thing and I'm just mesmerized by watching these guys work on these trains. And this is something that I don't think really anyone today has any true, unless you go to a museum or something that actually have steam locomotives how massive some of these machines are. Yeah. 
<laughs> you watch these people standing next to them, and they are just dwarfed by the size of these engines. Mm-hmm. It's astonishing, and it's just, it was. I was legitimately kind of mesmerized by just <laughs> what we were watching, uh, watching the roundhouse at, at work. It was mm-hmm. really neat. There are a lot of different pieces of this movie that are interesting in their own rights. Um, there's, of course, the character of Dan, Dan Thorne is, I think, we'll get into why, but I think he's probably one of the most complex characters we've seen. Um, interestingly, not, not complex, but yeah, I know complex is the right word. He is an internally complex character. Uh, you know, you have Mary and Larry. Oh, man, I can't believe they named him Mary and Larry. I'm just shaking my head. I can't get over Mary and Larry, right? Bill and Jill. Why? Why do they do this? But they do. Uh, but, um, and they're both really worth mentioning a very, very different character uh, for Jean Arthur in this movie. In The Silver Horde, she played this kind of petulant, you know, rich daddy's girl and, you know, made it easy not to like her. In this movie, she's completely the opposite. She's she's kind and sweet and caring and takes care of her father and, you know, is, is sensitive to how much Dan has done for her and her father and not at all, you know, that petulant kind of really great counterpoint to Evelyn Brent's character in The Silver Horde. But it's nice to see her in a different role where she's not just, you know, oh, that awful rich girl. Yes. <laughs> that stereotypical awful rich girl. Um, and in this, she's not at all. I, it, totally unrelated to anything. I found myself, this is a black and white movie, and I found myself fascinated with her wardrobe. She has, it, for, it's interesting because she's clearly a working class kind of girl. She's not meant to be a wealthy character, but she has a pretty varied wardrobe in this movie and everything she wears suits her perfectly and is something that we would wear today. It's uh, partly just a, you know, interesting how, of course, style comes back around, but I think it's, it's, it surprised me that I noticed her wardrobe because of so much going on in this movie, but I did. I have to mention that. So a very different character for her. And, and it was nice to see, again, side note, it was nice to see normal clothes. So many of these movies we watch, the women are these femme fatales or they're these, you know, like I said, spoiled rich girls. And so you see these glamorous 1930s sheath dresses. I know this is not what everybody's here to hear, but I have to mention it because it really fascinated me. And then, it, and then we have these very normal outfits for her. You know, she does wear a party dress, but for the most part, they're just kind of everyday kind of clothes. And, and it's worth pointing out, there's a scene where she's wearing a bathrobe and she's still got those high heels on. I noticed that too. Totally different era. <laughs> I don't know anybody today that wears high heels when they got a bathrobe on, but it's in this movie. So, you know, look out for it, ladies. Now, you know, if you ever really want to go retro, um, but there's so much about her style in this that I really enjoyed it. It, I don't know why it ca- it caught me so much in this movie. Um, it, maybe because she's genuinely the... Well, she's not the only female character. I was going to say she's the only female character in it, but there is a party scene where there are other... There are two parties where there are other women. But, but she's, she's, the only, the, she's the only female character that, we're, that we follow at all in mm-hmm. the film. But, it, in it, I, but I just found it interesting that for some reason that just really stood out for me. And I think it's maybe because it's such regular clothing that it just made it interesting to see 
you know, what was normal clothing at that time. So kind of fun, kind of fun history there. Um, and I don't know that we've seen, I know we mentioned him, but I don't know that we've seen Robert Armstrong in anything. I could have sworn we had, but looking through his filmography, I can't find anything that, that he was in that we've covered. But I could have sworn I read the trivia about him and being in King Kong and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was even wondering, like, well, maybe he had a bit part in some other film or, or some, you know, supporting role. But mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't find anything in his filmography. Yeah, I, I can't either. So it's kind of interesting. I think, I think it's, it's, it's so funny. Through this whole movie, you have Dan and Larry, and Dan is supposed to be this. He's supposed to be this older mentor character for Larry, and he keeps calling Larry kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were hazarding guesses as to how old Robert Armstrong was in this movie. And we were saying, oh, maybe in his 30s. I don't know if that's right or not. Let's see, he was born in 1890, so he was dead on. He was 30. Uh, oh, he was 40. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. No, he would have been 40 when this movie came out. And so it still is really funny to me that they kept calling him kid. Uh, Louis Wolheim is only 10 years older than him, but they're both obviously full-grown men in this, yes. but they make such a point of trying to make it seem like Robert Armstrong is younger, and and he's just not. So, <laughs> um, But I, between Mary and Larry, I don't think there's a whole lot of... They're, they're both, you know, kind of interesting people. Mary seems like a genuinely good person. Larry seems like he's, you know, kind of, you know, hardworking, maybe difficult personality, but, you know, typical guy. In contrast with Dan, who throughout this movie is continually built on as a better and better and better person. Until to the point that, like, you know, they're making the point that he is this he's considered this they they say it really directly you know where I, they say oh you've always been the kingpin in our you know among our people among our group in the rail in the rail yards but they really show it well too they don't just say you know you don't just have 10 guys walk in and say oh damn he's a great guy he, you actually see him you see him you know treating Larry with more grace than he does, than certainly than Larry deserves, because Larry's a real pain in the backside at first. And then you see him being real gentle and kind with Mary and with her father. And then you see him going to take care of his, uh, you know, the guy who lost his wife. And I love the scene. I'm just, I know I'm gushing a little bit here. Bear with me. Stick with me, guys. I'll get done. I promise. <laughs> Am I going to be allowed to talk? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a turnaround. But then I love there's a scene where. I promise I'll stop after this. <laughs> Where Dan is in his office. Yeah, Mr. Absolutely out of time, I promise you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's see if I can get up. Long distance, Mr. Thorne. Never call me later. What? I can't talk to you right now. Call me later. I tell you, I'm not going to lay any more package on that spur. Now get that. Now what? I tell you, every egg will arrive there intact if I have to lay a new road bed all the way from here to Chicago. Anyway, 
Here. Take this over to the roundhouse for me. No! and he just yells, leave me alone, and he hangs up, and then the other phone rings, and he says something, and the phone rings again, and he just picks it up, and he just goes, no, and he hangs up again. And I love the counterpoints of his personality. He's this incredibly tough guy, and he yells out the window at the men working in the yard, but then when one of his guys is down at the bar getting drunk because his wife died, he goes down to support the guy and to get him out of that situation. It's no use, Dan. Andrew. She's gone. She's all that I had. I'm through. I gotta quit, I tell you. I gotta quit. Quit, huh? I never thought I'd hear Tom Johnson say a word like that. Are you turning yellow? No, Dan, no. What else would you call it, you quitter? Oh, but you don't understand. Yes, I understand. Your heart's broke because your wife's gone. But do you think you're going to help matters with that stuff? Now, we're railroad men. we got to keep the schedule. What right have we got to drink? Holding a throttle. Running a train with lives depending on us. No, we got to keep them trains moving. That's our religion, Tom. That's our life. That's what Bess used to say. That's the way I felt first. When I first met her. And that's how she'd want you to be now, Tom. That's how you are. Come on, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's go. And he's not the typical tough guy that you see in a lot of movies of this era that don't have any soft side to him. And for that reason, he's I think he's so much more complex than a lot of other characters we see at this time. No, I really like that they... They did that with him is they, they made him a very no not when it came to the railroad the rail yard, when it came to business, <laughs> he was very no nonsense. I work as hard as possible. I expect everyone else to do the same, but that doesn't make him rude about it. It doesn't or make hard. him a mon or, or hard. It doesn't mm -hmm. make him a monster. Yeah, the one guy comes up, he's like, oh, I wonder if I can knock off and not do this next run. And he's like, what the hell? You you haven't asked for that in 20 years. And he's like, it's your wife. Oh, mm -hmm. And then he goes, it, do you need anything? You got a good doctor? You know, what do you... you know? He immediately wants to come to this guy's aid. You know, mm -hmm. he would have, you, you feel like he was almost ready to reach into his wallet and like, do you need any money? Oh, do absolutely. Wanna, do you want a cab ride? You know, anything. And he tells like, no, I don't want to see you around here until your wife gets better. You know, mm -hmm. go and take care of, you know. And, and then one, unfortunately, the guy loses his wife. Like you were saying, he actually, he's the one that goes to the bar to make sure that this guy doesn't go down. Because apparently he had a drinking problem in the past and they were able to kind of straighten him up. And now he's a, he's a good, solid engineer. It was really nice seeing uh, the character, seeing those sides of him. Mm-hmm. 
I do think when he's trying to be super sweet with Mary, it comes off maybe a little saccharine or something. It's a little too over the top. Well, hello, Mary. Ain't this nice, you coming down here to see me? Daddy forgot the handkerchiefs I laid out for you this morning. Huh? So I did. See, that's thoughtful of you. So I'm right, Mary. So I'm right. Makes me feel kind of close to you when I see you doing little things like this. Oh, it's, it's nothing at all, Dan. You're the thoughtful one. Look what you've done for all of us. Oh, it's a pleasure to do things for you, Mary. I don't like to have you run around among these tracks, but you're the only thing that seems to brighten up this tough old railroad yard, and, and it sort of keeps me from going off my nuts sometimes. You know, I don't know if I could go through with it if I didn't look forward to seeing you. Hey, what do you guys think you're doing down there? Playing ping pong? Two digits by this company's meant to work with. I guess I don't need to tell you how I feel about you, Mary. Dan, I think you've been wonderful. I think it does a good job because you can see that he really dotes on her. And Mary mentions at one point that she's known him since she was a child. There's obviously a significant age difference between them. And he just, it's its really sweet. Even though it's obvious he loves her, you can see that it's kind of a, a caretaker kind of love. I don't yeah. know the right word for it. And her father, he's a great counterpoint to this because he's very like, he expects, you know, Mary's going to do her duty. She's going to marry this guy. This guy is taking care of her family for as long as, you know, they've known him. And he, definitely he's opened his wallet up for them. It's very clearly put out there. And it's just the right thing to do. And he just, oh, Dan's such a great guy. And oh, my gosh. And yeah, <laughs> I've had times <laughs> where my father has told me how amazing my husband is. And it makes me uncomfortable. I love you, Dad, <laughs> but it's really creepy. And that's exactly what happens here. I've often said it. She's a lucky girl to be marrying a railroader and a fine-looking man, too. Hey, hey, stop throwing them apples. <laughs> Give me a match, will you? But you are, Dan. You are. Uh, maybe uh, not exactly handsome, but... No, uh, no. But handsome is as handsome does. <laughs> Not exactly handsome. Why, my pan looks like a street before they laid the pavement down. You wouldn't find Mary saying a thing oh, like that. Oh, oh, oh. No, you're going to make a happy den. Never failed to do anything I wanted to yet. You sure haven't, boy. You're always kingpin amongst us, even in the old days. And ever since I got my smash, and you started to take care of Pipe me and down. Mary... Pipe down. Why, you're more than just a man to us. 
you... Hey, stop it. You, 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 you have me blushing. Maybe I didn't say the right words, boy, but... You know how I feel, don't you? You don't owe me a thing. If it had been the other way around, you'd have done the same thing to me. Sit still, lad. I'll see you. You're such a good-looking guy, and, and I love that Dan goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, come on. Let's be realistic here, right? I loved, I loved it. My, my, my pan looks like a road before they put down the pavement. Yes. <laughs> and I, I love that, you know, this character knows this about himself. He's not, he's not, he, he's not a Gaston. He's right. not there going, well, obviously she should love me. He's saying, I, I really care about her. I really want to take care of her. I'll do everything I can. And, oh, I'm so lucky that she's willing to marry me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, I'm so lucky to have her. But at no point does it feel to me like he's being ins- insincere. And it also doesn't feel like, it's kind of funny, like he wants, he. I, I feel like he wants Mary to love him, but he's not trying to pressure her. Her father is, her father is like, oh. He's, how many goats for my daughter? Like, yeah. come on, Dan. I, like. I get the impression. I get the impression that neither Dan nor Mary really had any input in the, into them getting no. married. I, I think, think that it was it was the father that was like probably who went to Dan and like, well, you know, Mary's of marrying age now, and you should marry her, and you know, she's really sweet and she likes you and. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't oh, think either yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think well, they were I, both convinced by their mm-hmm. by by Mary's father mm-hmm. that they love each other and or and should get married. That they should get married. I think I, I think that your your argument has some strength behind it. I think that definitely at some point it seems like Dan has been convinced that he does love Mary that way, and whether that was through the continual and unceasing encouragements of her father (laughs) or if it was it's you know kind of oh you know he's got a good point yeah I really do she is kind of amazing and you know he says at one point Mary when you do these sweet little things for me I feel close to you it is an awkward line it's genuinely the most awkward line in the movie I think of all the of all the lines you can hear it's the most awkward (laughs) but um but it's still, there's nothing, at no point does it feel like he's, you know, scheming to get her. No, absolutely not. Everything he's done has been out of the goodness of his heart. Which also, and I wonder if it's just because of the brainwashing from Mary's father. What was his name? Ed? Um, <laughs> yes, Ed. <laughs> that, that brings him to the whole, when it comes down to it, that Larry and Mary fall in love with each other. I know the the names together. It's so bad. <laughs> Gary and Mary. Uh, Gary and Mary. <laughs> Gary and Mary. Thank you subtitles. Gary um, and Larry. <laughs> that Dan would immediately go to, "Oh, I'll kill him." And I'm like, "Why? You'd think at that point he'd go, "Well, what in the world would you want with a mug like mine, you know?" And Yeah. I, I think I, yeah, I think, you again, you make a strong argument. I think that in this case, it's kind of a, it's, it, Mary has said she'll marry him at this point. I mean, they're at the engagement party when he gets called away from, for a landslide or a, I forget flood. what they called it, a flood, a washout. That's washout, there you go. <clears throat> and, and so he, he's, I think that at that point, it's reasonable that he has some expectation and definitely reasonable that he could feel betrayed. Uh, 
the level of anger, I mean, you know, I think that they use his sharpness in the, in the roundhouse as like kind of, kind of building this idea that, hey, when he has a temper, he has a very bad temper. And he's not afraid to, to sock a bum for not coming and helping move boulders off of the railroad track, right? <laughs> this is a guy that he will lay you out flat if you cross him. I'm not convinced, even though Mary says it, I'm not convinced that Dan would ever hurt her. Oh, no. But definitely I could see him, you know, beating the heck out of Larry, mm-hmm. not Gary. <laughs> or Mary. But again, his complexity comes back into into play again when he he catches up with them, and Larry's got himself trapped in the uh, in the switch. It's a lemonade. Oh, Larry! That's no use, Murray. It's operated from the tower. no use. This thing's like a vice. And I'm only going to get what I deserve, I guess. Oh, no, no, Larry, no. Now, Murray, get off the track. No, I won't leave you. Oh, please, Murray, get away. No, no I won't catch leave me. you. Yeah, Murray, no, please go on away. No, get off no. the track, please. I, I won't. I'm going to kill you. Go ahead, Dan. It's all right. I got it coming to me. No, no, Dan! No, 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 care of him right there or just leave him to it in fact larry even tells him look just leave me i'm getting what what's coming to me and and dan saves his life yeah which is an interesting turn i thought for larry Uh, and and, and it is interesting because i kept waiting for there to be a bad guy in this movie i kept waiting for there to be one kind of really nefarious person and it's i think it's refreshing that there's not yes Mm -hmm. ed has his issues for you know pushing his daughter onto this guy out of gratitude i think most likely he genuinely believes that dan would take really good care of mary i i doubt that he's trying to force his daughter to marry somebody that he thinks will be horrible to her but everybody in it has really i think human motives and you know very kind of natural responses regardless of how the characters are written i think the the motives in are all are all there and they all make sense and they're all very identifiable. I think for every character, even oh gosh, I love the scene in the bar where he's down there. The guy's last name is Johnson, uh, Tom Johnson, and he's talking to Tom and he says, "Okay, well, bring me a shot too." And Tom's like, "Well, what are you doing?" And he says, well, I, I can have a drink with you. We're buddies. You know, you, you lost your wife. I'm going to have a drink with you. And it's that, you know, obviously he's using reverse psychology. And, but, but he's there with the drink in front of him saying, look, if you're willing to ruin your career over this, then I'm going to ruin. I'm going to bet my career that you won't ruin your life this way. Um, 
and I feel like I just rabbit trailed, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but it's that I think that's the character of Dan in all of this is he might, you know, his, his knee jerk reaction is, you know, maybe to go to fists, but when he, I, and I felt like that too, even when Mary, you know, when everything happens that happens with Mary and Larry, I thought, I feel like if Dan, if if Ed hadn't run up to Dan and said, they're running away together, you got to go stop them, right? I feel like if it had been a, hey, Dan, I've got bad news. Mary and Larry fell in love and they're going to be together now. You know, he would have done the initial, and then been like, oh, but you know what? (sighs) Mary was always probably something like, Mary was always too good for me. He would probably tell himself, not arguing that that's true. But, you know, and then, ah, uh, you know, who am I to stand in between two people that love each other? But that's not the situation as it's, as it's presented to him. It's presented to him as this guy's stealing your woman. He, like, right. came in and he's, you know, he's snaking in there and he's seducing her. You better go get him, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I like what you said that, you know, this film doesn't have any bad guys. Uh, Larry is never the, she loves me, Dan, and we're running away together type or anything like that either. I, he was, he felt guilty about it. Mm-hmm. He recognizes that there, that Dan has done a lot for him, mm-hmm. where he was being very difficult and saying, hey, you can't force me to work, but Dan was saying, hey, I believe in you. So yeah, you're going to do it because I know you're tougher than you're saying you are. I know that you're a better person than you are pretending you are. And so yeah, it's in most cases... I would feel like, oh, Larry's being melodramatic, saying, oh, no, I'm a bad guy. But in this case, it's like, oh, man, literally Dan has done so much for me. And here I am actually snaking his girl. Not not to be a jerk, but, you know, can't help it. The heart wants what the heart wants. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> it is, you know, true. Mary's obviously not in love with Dan. And so, yeah, it is interesting that I, I, I like a movie where there's not an, an evil... Ma- I like right. a movie where there is an evil man's mind, but I also like one where it's just you know human it's relations. Just, it's, it's exactly so Jane it, Austen. It, it's people being human, yeah, very yes. much. Yes, yes, yeah. The only uh, criticism I have with the romance is it's one of those the movie's only so long and we need to get to it quick. So they have one meaningful look at each other and they're in love kind mm-hmm. of relationship. That's the yeah. only kind of quibble I have now, with it. Now, let's be fair. She does see him with his shirt off. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and he's got his undershirt on. Don't get too excited, guys. This is the 1930s after all. <laughs> but <laughs> now, I, I think, you know, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. But it all goes back to that, that age-old question, is, is love at first sight possible? Mm-hmm. You know? Or is love at first argument possible (laughs) in this case? Is your name Doyle? Yeah, why? Well, if your name is Doyle, this is for you. Why didn't you say so in the first place? Why, you didn't give me a chance. You want to take my answer now? Yeah. All right, just tell Thorne there's no chance. I'm quitting. I thought you would. Why, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean you thought I would? What makes you think I'm a quitter? You think I'm here because I like it? Well, I'm not, and I'm leaving. I'm not gonna... All right. Suit yourself. 
wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yeah. I almost feel like there was like a, a flubbed line in there because it doesn't. Well, I'm I'm not a quitter, and he and I'm gonna. I don't know if it was a flub line or if it was just supposed to be Good him <laughs> getting trapped in his own argument or something. Mm-hmm. But the way he says it and the way it happens is just like that. Actually, it literally looks like the the actor is just trailing off because he forgot the next line or he messed up a line or something like that, and they just mm-hmm. kept filming. But I, I'm yeah. guessing it was um, it was probably the former. It was probably was supposed to be him. Um, getting wrapped up in his own argument, mm-hmm. or or going, oh wait, this is a pretty girl. I didn't notice this was a pretty girl. Oh wait, pretty girl. Okay, ah. <laughs> uh, that, I think my favorite line in the film was, uh, oh, he's looking for the towel, and she brings him the towel, and he, he dries his face and everything, and he looks at her like, what's the big idea? I live here. Well, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, our favorite our favorite line comes a little bit later. I won't I won't mention the contest because it's near the end of the movie. But uh, Larry runs up to somebody and he says, "We gotta do this." And the guy goes, "It's impossible." And he says, "But we gotta do it." And the guy goes, "Well, all right, maybe it's possible." <laughs> it's literally that fast of a turnaround. There are only a couple moments in this movie where you go, "Hmm." Somebody was like, "Ah, just get the action moving on, right?" <laughs> we want to show more trains, and gosh, do they show a lot of trains? Oh, there's movie. a lot of trains in this. And this movie, I think, in order to be allowed to film in the train yard, they had to pretty much make this film an advertisement for the railroad industry. <laughs> They did a great job. I, there must have been like uh, recruitment stands outside the theaters. <laughs> so when people come out. Hey, do you want to work for the railroad? <laughs> <laughs> yes. There, it is interesting. There are, you know, we talked a little bit about there being some really unique um, train footage. There are s- several shots in here that I think it's just good filming. I think there's not a lot in here. Even the, the walk and talks, there's a scene where Mary and Larry are dancing and the uh, camera follows them and other couples are dancing past them and in front of them even and the the camera's moving with them it, it's just a really nice solid moving shot um their their framing is good the action parts where they're moving you know through rooms and having conversations are solid um the the train cinematography is phenomenal and there's a scene where of course there's always got to be a a train racing to do something they've got to get on a train to go somewhere and in one point I didn't notice it the first time I watched it and I think that I caught it the second time because I was watching that um, artificially colorized version and so you could pick out some more things in that and there are scenes where they're the train is going through Chicago and you can see other trains passing over the train that they're focused on. It happens at least twice, and and it's kind of mind-blowing, because this is 1930. I mean, we're barely out of silent films, and here we are on a train, and they timed this. They had to time it. This isn't CG. Now we're expecting, you know, spaceships to fly overhead in perfect crazy, you know, and, and everything goes at the right place at the right time. They had to get these trains lined up so that they would actually be, or they had to know the timetable to the point that they could put a camera on a train and see other trains passing over it while it was, and they had to have had a camera actually attached to these engines. Some of these shots, that's the only way they could have gotten them. No, it, the, the, the film work 
in and around uh, the train yard and on the trains is astonishing for the environment that they had to move these. I mean, these are these cameras that weigh like 400 pounds or yeah, whatever massive. a piece, massive cameras. And to be able to move them around and get the shots that they did and be as as fluid as they did as they were, and then like you were saying, I mean, they had to have a camera mounted on a train and not shaking a Yes, <laughs> yeah. They have some night for night shots in the rain, and you can see what's happening. Yeah, that is in 1930. That is really kind of impressive because think about it. We we watched the Red House and that was the 1940s, 1950s, mm, and 1940s they were still doing night. day for night shots. Yeah, and this is night for night shots in 1930 in the rain, and you right. can see it's really there's some really really good cinematography in this. Now it's not clear, it's not crisp like we expect today, but it is really solid filming technique. Oh, can you imagine what this looked like in the brand new print? Oh gosh! It must have been fascinating. It must have been just mind blowing. Oh oh my God! To to have been in one of those two theaters showing the big widescreen. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that would have been that would have been amazing. And then there's a there's one real stunt in this um, in this movie. Do you want to do you want to pick that up or shall I? Which one would that be? The, uh... the one real stunt I can think of is when the train is going and Larry has to climb out of it and oh hang. Oh, my God. To, yes. He has to hang off the side to clear something out. And again, I'm, you know, I mentioned it watching it the second time. This is not this isn't CG. This isn't green screen. He, the, this is a train running along tracks, and they have a man climb out the window and climb down. I mean, we see this all the time. They did it in the, uh, gosh, the road to Bali. You've got Bob Hope hanging off the bottom of the train and Bean Crosby handing him down sandwiches out of the window. But it's obviously like a fake set, right? right. This is not a fake set. This is really a man climbing yep. out of a train. And I couldn't tell i mean could you tell at all in either of your versions but in my version it really did look like robert armstrong i have no idea i wouldn't i mean maybe he got to start doing a lot of action stuff it's uh i don't know i won't speculate um i, I will i will say it didn't not look like him right. it wasn't it wasn't obviously a very different person but it, what really amazed me is that, again, you've got this camera clearly mounted on this engine somehow, and it's going down the tracks at whatever speed it's going. And it's not one of those artificially sped up shots. It might be, it might be slightly sped up, but I don't recall it that way. And then you actually have a guy climb out of a train and hook his leg through and poking at something to get it loose. And it's really, it's phenomenal. It's I do think some of the footage towards the end of the film when they're racing to Chicago, I think that is sped up a little bit. There's to give definitely it that. one shot that's very obviously a miniature train set. It's very, very obvious. When it's passing another train uh, and it's stopped at a station, and it's very obviously a miniature set, but it's the only one I can think of. And I think... Oh, I don't know about that. I don't think there was any miniature trains. It's so high up. It has to have been because it was 1930. I don't know. I I could see him climbing up a pole or something like that. It's so high up. Mm. (laughs) All right. Well, I'd love to hear other people's opinions on this. So go go on to... Open Entertainment's Facebook page and vote. Do you think it was a fake train set or not? (laughs) No, I don't think there was any fake trains. I think this was all legit. 
Okay. Well, I, I'm very interested. I, I'll have to go back and rewatch just that little bit. Um, but I, I was pretty convinced that it was a train set. Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, in the very beginning, I was thinking, oh, this has got to be like a really good miniature set when they have this landslide <laughs> cover the tracks. But it, oh. I'm looking at it again, and I'm like, I that that's that looks like a real train. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I they think, definitely have big boulders on some tracks somewhere for the yeah. I think I'm like I think off. they they may have actually caused a landslide to, to block a, a rail line. <laughs> it, yeah. Or, or yeah, it'd be interesting. I have to go back and look at that. that so the special, the, the, the stunt, the only stunt that I can think of is that one particular stunt, but there were probably some special effects that bear uh, reviewing. Yeah. If, if it's not, if it is a miniature, it's one of the best miniatures <laughs> I've, I've ever seen, certainly in, of, of this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much to talk about with this movie. I think um, there's one other one other character that is. It's kind of funny. They threw in two little uh, almost side plots. Uh, the the Johnson, the Tom Johnson side plot where his wife died, I think, was placed there really, really clearly to show Dan's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another side plot with this hobo called the Professor. <laughs> I really, I was annoyed by this character. I, I did not like the, the the this comic relief effectively put plopped into this film sporadically, and it's just every time it showed up and every time he'd do his little routine, it's like, it's <laughs> well, so out of place, and it just it brings the film to a screeching halt. In its favor, they didn't. I didn't feel like they overdid it. There are movies where they way overdo them. And again, I would argue that it, it, except for where he pops up in the bar and has no bearing on the story at all, um, there is a scene where they play a little practical joke on this guy. And I think he's pretty funny. There's, he kind of is like walking away from him quick and then he kind of starts skipping and I admit I laughed out loud. <laughs> and he's just this, you know, this guy that just, like he's this grown scruffy man and he starts like skipping along. It just made me laugh. And then I think, though, that when they play this prank on him and then you get to see Dan and his um, yard manager just, like, guffawing, laughing so hard about this, I think it adds another aspect to Dan. He's not this mirthless, miserable guy that's incapable of joy. He actually has a good sense of humor. So there, I, I, I feel like, yeah, was he absolutely necessary to the plot to have this, this extra character in there? It wasn't. Um, I I got a little chuckle out of him once or twice, and then I loved the the scene where you got to see Dan being clever and funny. I just thought it was it was just a fun little way to see his character. Yet another aspect to his I think complex character. I I do think I saw that, and I was thinking, boy, practical jokes in the rail yard are is dangerous. <laughs> that <laughs> is like that was, true. It looked like a really easy way to kill a guy too. <laughs> I, well, and I'm, pre- I'm, you know, so I'm fairly sure that wasn't a practical stunt. <laughs> like, you know, you see the guy kind of flail and then fall, but then the next time you see him, he's laying on the ground on the coal or whatever they've dumped out. <clears throat> and so I'm going to say probably not practical, but yeah, I, I definitely would say, hey guys, don't play jokes on your friends in rail yards. Also, <laughs> no. also don't walk on train tracks if they're in use. No. Yeah. Shouldn't have to tell you this, Mary and Larry. 
You, you, you shouldn't be walking across the bridge. You should. I, I can't imagine that that train was invisible to you when you started going across that bridge. <laughs> well, it was one of those sneaky trains. They're in every movie where they just, they're not there and then suddenly, stealth. Yep. you know. Stealth train, yeah. Stealth trains. They are everywhere. Look out for, that's what we need to do. We need to put signs on every railroad crossing that says, beware of stealth trains. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about or should we go on to the ratings? I think, I, I think I'm pretty happy with that. Um, we, we talked about the things that I made notes of. Obviously, I, it's not hard to know. I, I really enjoy Dan's character in this. Um, I, you don't find a lot of gruff characters that are also big sweethearts. I think maybe he, I think he kind of comes across that way maybe in a couple of different movies. And it's it's so much fun to see that. It's so it's just such a nice character to see. You always hear about the guys like, oh, he looks like a bulldog, but he's a big softy. And Dan's not that. I don't think he's anyone that you could manipulate because he's just a big softy. He just he does have a softer inside, but he's in control of it. Dangerous marshmallow. <laughs> dangerous marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, no. I read it in a book, and I think it applies. He's a dangerous marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's go on to our ratings here. Um, a one, Othel, don't bother, five Othels, you have to see it. Find myself of two minds on this one. I want to give it a, a, definitely some Othels just for the historical context of this thing. Because you are not going to see a film that highlights, the, you know, in a rail yard, in a roundhouse. Just, and s- the historical footage aspect of this film is just off the scale. Uh, I just really enjoyed that. I thought the characters were a little fun. I, I'm not a big Robert Armstrong fan. Um, I think he's a little maybe overly dramatic or and and often melodramatic. And in his deliveries of, of lines and stuff sometimes. Wolheim, it was nice seeing him in, in something where he actually had like more than three words in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wasn't like, just a thug. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gene Arthur is, yes, very talented, very beautiful. I really feel like I'm just going to kind of saddle this one right in the middle maybe with the... I'm leaning towards actually two and a half, but I could probably be talked into a three, but I don't think I could go any higher than that. Okay. (laughs) How about yourself? Uh, You know, it's interesting. I think, I think that they were being in the venue that we're in orphan entertainment being obviously a podcast for forgotten film and media. And this, this movie is, I, I'm not aware of it having been made into a criterion film or anything like that. Um, I would love to see this movie get restored. Oh, I no, absolutely. I would this. love, oh my God, if someone would go clean out a broom closet and find a bunch of 65 millimeter oh. reels. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, to yeah, see this thing in that widescreen print in 1930. Uh, yeah, this... I, it, when I read that, and then after watching the film, I almost shed a tear. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that aside from that, there's also some. 
I think very good and very remarkable cinematography in this movie. Um, the the people scenes, the dialogue scenes are dialogue scenes, but they're solid. And I think that the the writing in it is solid. I think that the relationships and the motivations in it are solid. The acting, I think, across the board is in general solid. Yes, yeah, it's got moments here, maybe a flub here and there, like you mentioned. But across, uh, you know, but in general, this is, this movie reminded me a lot um, of The Quiet Man. Okay. Uh, with, um, how did I just blank on his name and Maureen O'Hara? Oh my gosh, people are John screaming. Wayne? Thank you. John people Wayne? are screaming John Wayne at their, <laughs> their speakers right now. John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. They're just, there's a quality to it that just reminds me of that. It's about people in a, in a situation, in a life, in a world, in a part of the world. And it captures a really, I think, unique little slice of the world during this time. And for to me, like there, for a, for a movie to get a five, it has to have a whole lot going for it. And I think that if we were in in a let's say in a regular film genre podcast, I would probably not rate it very highly. But being in uh, being the focus that we have, I think I want to. I'm going to give it five. I think that there's enough about this particular movie that is really unique and really unusual something that you don't see so many movies in this era you get the the miniature train set and or not yeah (laughs) or not but that's all you get right you you don't you know you don't get a lot of what you see in this movie the the audio is a travesty you know, and if I were going to knock it down, that would be the thing I'd knock it down for. But I feel like if you're interested in in films that have been lost to history, this is one that is really, really unique. I think because of that uniqueness, it really deserves to be visited. Yes, it's going to be really hard to listen to it. Um, but I think that the performance has come across even with that huge, um, that huge, uh, what's the word I want? <laughs> I knew I was going to lose my vocabulary. That huge detractor. Um, Handicap, that was the word I wanted. Uh, That huge handicap um, added onto it. I think it's worth it. I think that um, Louis Wolheim is just fantastic. I think, you know, obviously Gene Arthur went on to be, is is well known. I think that it's just, it's just interesting. I think there's too much to it that that to not have, to not make more people aware of it. And so I, it's, I'm, I respect your two and a half Othels. <laughs> like I said, I, I could be easily talked into a three. There is so much. I mean, you're even sitting here talking and I'm thinking, am I not putting the, like you were talking, you're talking about a lot of the unique stuff. And that unique stuff is the, like, is, is how I put it, the historical footage of the rail yard, of the roundhouse and seeing these trains and seeing the day to day. In, in the trail yard, in the rail yard, and and then the engineers and and the mechanics working on these things, and yeah, I, what other film have we seen that in? We've this isn't the first film that we've watched that's revolved around a train or a, a train line, a rail line, but I don't remember seeing footage like this. Yeah, no, it's far better. I mean, I want to share a little tiny just story my dad told me. My dad uh, was born in the late '40s 
lived in a little tiny town in Arkansas and he said and their property backed up to the train tracks and he said when he was a boy he remembered the train bringing the mail to town they had an, a swing arm off of the train and it would drop the mailbox and pick up the mailbox with the outgoing mail and and it kind of blew my mind because that was in the 1950s that's a long time ago now but that's not as long ago as we think of it and I told him uh you know, people my age and, and people younger than me, when you talk about the ma- the train bringing the mail into town, the mail being bring, brought in by train, we think of the Old West, but it really wasn't that long. And this, this movie predates him by, you know, 20 years or about that. And, and it still is just during, trains were so important to America for such a long time. I just think it's fascinating. It's, it's a piece of history and it's captured so well. They could have done this movie and had and had fake trains pushing against each other, but they have two full-size steam engines pushing against each other, going full out. It's for that alone. It's, it's insane. You wouldn't believe it if you and didn't people see it. standing no more than ten feet away. Ten feet away, probably going deaf. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's incredible. There there just are things in this movie that I think if you. If you think about how different things are now, it's just kind of breathtaking to to still have something like this around. So I am. I know sometimes I I rate highly for unexpected reasons. Um, I think there are enough interesting features to this movie to really warrant a high rating on it. I hope everybody that watches it finds something they enjoy about it. And I would love, love for this to be restored and to get some clearer views and some better audio in this. There, there's so much train sound. You just can't get rid of the train sound. And, and, I, and frankly, I don't want to. I think that that's part of the ambiance of this movie. That's part of the reality of this setting. But um, it, it detracts only from the standpoint that sometimes you have to strain a little bit to understand what's being said, but they get the message across clearly. So it's worth it. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, and I think one of the things that kind of dings it for me too, is like I said, at the beginning, this thing is like an advertisement for the rail industry. <laughs> and it just, it comes a little heavy handed. I think there there's are... just too many opportunities <laughs> that this film takes to go isn't this life great? Aren't the people that work on the rail great? Isn't this a fantastic person? Uh, uh, I love the scene, though, where he's in the office yelling at the phones and his uh, yard manager, he's like, what? Um, wh- what? Oh, who, what? Who, who in their right who in, mind would go into the, into, yeah, into the rail business? Would anybody in their right mind ever be in, a, in the railroad industry? And the guy goes, nope. And he goes, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> of course they would. So, yeah, it definitely, it has an interesting nostalgia about it, I think. Okay, well, I still had an absolute, I still enjoyed watching it. I had an absolute ball discussing it with you. Yeah, and I agree. It got a remastered, even just remastered (laughs) audio. Yeah, yeah. Because the picture isn't terrible, but the audio is just... If you could do something with that mono audio and pull that <laughs> dialogue out a little bit, yeah, it'd be astonishing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I think so. So again, you know, this is this movie is not rated ten out of ten on IMDb or anywhere else. We're not we're not sponsored by IMDb, but 
<laughs> it's not, you know, rated highly from a critical standpoint, but I think that that's not what we're talking about here. I think we're talking about movies that people have otherwise forgotten about. And yeah. in, in that, you know, Pangea of, of options, there are, I, I don't give, I feel like I don't give fives very often. And when I do, it's because I'm either an utter sap, which this might admittedly be one of those reasons, <laughs> or because the movie just is blows, blows us away so hard you can't give it any other rating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's fun to run across one where we disagree. I love disagreeing with you <laughs> on the ratings. I love the different perspective, I, and I hope everybody that's listening does too. Yep. I am glad. I am glad that this film is. Hopefully, we can bring a little bit more light to it. I'm glad that it is now, you know, on our YouTube channel, uh, so it, it'll survive there for a little longer. Uh, and hopefully, you know, some of our subscribers will uh, go ahead and, and give it a watch. Well, that'll do it for this month's epi- episode. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We will be back in another month. And if I'm wait, was this episode? <gasps> this is eleven years. If you got to the end of this recording, you now know this is 11 years of Orphan Entertainment. Thank you so much for joining us for this whole time. I can't believe I got to be the one to say it. I'm so excited. Usually Christopher remembers that I go, oh, was that this month? It is. It's this month. So thank you so much for joining us for 11 years. We are moving on to year 12. Hopefully nothing changes uh, or maybe things change for the best. And um, yeah, keep listening. Thank you all. Yeah, it is astonishing. Thank you very much, everybody. This 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 anniversary kind of came, it came in quietly this year. You know, last year we did the big ten year. You know, we we were talking about it for months before before it happened, and this year it was kind of like, oh wait, is this <laughs> is this the one? And it it is indeed. And uh, yeah, we couldn't uh, be happier with the, the show and happier with. Uh, all our, our subscribers and our YouTube subscribers. Thank you very much. Oh, if yes. any of you who have watched the films of them come and listen to the show, we really truly do appreciate all the uh, traffic you provide to the YouTube channel. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, Lydia, thanks very much. Blast as always. Thank you. Yeah. My cheeks hurt from smiling. <laughs> 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 they really do. <laughs> I would have never, you know, I, 11 years ago when we started this thing, I, I'm not going to say I didn't think it could go this long, but I had no idea it'd be going this long. Yeah, no, I <laughs> totally so much agree. Well, I, I love that you, you asked me about it. We were at a convention together. Oh, here you go. Story time, everybody. You ready? This is how it happened. Uh, we were at a convention together in Denver and uh, had some mutual friends met a, a few years before that. And Christopher said, well, I'm thinking about starting up another podcast. Would you be interested in reviewing uh, out of copyright movies with me? And I said, would I? That sounds great. And Yeah, I uh, believe you said that you, you always enjoy looking for uh, the, the, the the gems among the I forget how you put it. The awful? No, I'm sure I didn't say that. No, the hidden gems. You, you, I like to sift in awful to see if I can yeah. find something. No, it, it, it was something along the lines of that you you always liked uh, looking for the hidden gems. Yeah, and, we, and it definitely we've talked about a couple of some of my favorite classic movies on this. I love that we've gotten the chance to go through. Um, gosh, I want to say, we did we do the 39 Steps with Alfred Hitchcock? I think we did. That was one of my favorites for a really long time. Uh, it still is. It's still such a good movie. And uh, it's it's been so much fun getting to visit some of these 
the, it's, I, I think I'm lucky because, you know, as a kid, we'd watch TCM or we'd watch, um, oh gosh, what was the other one? Oh, they don't. AMC? AMC, yes, which is now not classic movies anymore. No. Tragically. Oh, guys, bring back, bring back the classic movie channels. We miss them. Um, they're so much fun. I, so I mentioned real briefly that I found a colorized version of this movie. There is a channel that I ran across today. It's colorized classic films. I don't remember what it's called, mm. but um, if you're out there looking for you know something a little bit different it looks like maybe somebody's independently going through and um colorizing some of these old movies so that that was a lot of fun yeah Mm -hmm. so i I love doing this i'm so excited that you asked me you probably could not have found a bigger old movie geek than i am i'm not (laughs) saying i'm the most knowledgeable but gosh i love to watch them um and so yeah i'm i'm thrilled to i'm thrilled to pieces i'm pleased as punch i (laughs) I have had so much fun with it because I'll I'll even admit it when I started it, I wasn't exactly sure what sort of films we'd end up on you know, watching and uncovering. And there's so mm-hmm. many films that I probably wouldn't watch mm-hmm. if we weren't going to cover them here on the show. And they've led me down many paths. I've learned to truly appreciate a lot of films from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that are still protected and under copyright or not mm-hmm. abandoned. And I've just really learned to, to just love. I've been watching a ton of like Charlie Chan films, which there are several yes. in public domain. Yep. There are a few in public domain. So I think too. maybe a Charlie Chan is uh, in, the, in the offering here soon. <laughs> well, I thought we did one, but I, uh, I guess I did, we just found one and talked about it, about doing one, but didn't actually do it. Um, gosh, yeah, there's so many out there that are, oh, they're just so much fun. I, I still think it might be fun, and I'd love to hear if you guys that are still listening, if you think this would be fun to go back and revisit a movie that we did early on, um, if that would be fun for you guys to hear us now that we are a little more knowledgeable. If you've got one you think we should revisit, let us know. Maybe we could do that as a special episode. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it just, especially some of those early episodes, I can't imagine were very good. They're probably fun to listen to because we were nuts. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, but some I, of them, some of them are pretty rough. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so glad we're still doing it. I'm so lucky that I get to sit down every month and talk to Christopher about about old movies because they're just they don't make them like they used to. There's a lot of there's a lot of YouTube channels out there right now that are talking about how movies have changed. Um, there's some really good ones out there actually talking about how uh, film and storytelling has changed in the last decade. And I encourage you to watch those too. They're really interesting. Uh, just talking about the the way that the, the we tend to cover American movies, not only, but the way that, you know, our, our mentality has changed about just life in general and how that's reflected in movies. It's pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, I was not to go, not to go rabbit trail again, but yeah, I hope we get to keep doing this for you guys for a whole lot longer. Hopefully we'll make it to 20 years. Um, and if you have a movie you think we should cover, let us know what it is. <laughs> leave, leave a comment on our Facebook page or on, uh, one of our, uh, one of our movies that we've posted on our YouTube channel, and we want to keep doing this for you guys as long as we have material to do it on. The beauty is, is that there more films are are officially becoming public domain oh, every so right. year. That's we right. are. We'll uh, never run we out have of another, material. We only have a few more months before public domain day again. We'll oh. see from, from 1928, I think, will so uh, fall in the public domain. We'll see what might uh, stumble our way. Gosh. 
Gosh, you know what? All the contemporaries of Danger Lights, all the movies that were made in 1930 are going to be in public domain in five years. Yep. Isn't that amazing? Oh, gosh, it's going to be so much fun to talk about some of those that we couldn't talk about before now. I'm so excited. No, it's, it's even more be... exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to grow our community, too. I mean, I know there's other old movie fans out there, and maybe they don't listen to a lot of podcasts, or maybe they Wait, just don't know. He's not saying know. old fans. He's saying fans of old movies. <laughs> Did I say old fans? Old he movie said old fans. movie fans. <laughs> oh, yes. Fans of old... There are many fans of old movies <laughs> there out <you> there <laughs> that maybe they don't listen to podcasts, or maybe they, they just assume that there aren't podcasts out there that talk mm-hmm. about these films. Yes. But, you know... If you know of anybody, my gosh, send them our way. <laughs> even if they're even if they don't listen to podcasts, we still want to, you know, I'll start a mailing list or something like that. <laughs> yeah, for the for the old movie fans. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't figured out. Yeah, the old movie fans that haven't figured out the uh, the the World Wide Web. <laughs> yes, that part. <laughs> oh, we're getting there though. We're getting there. Just another couple decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, oh. well, let's put this one to bed. It's so much fun. And um, we'll be back in another month to discuss another fun film, I'm sure. Lydia, thanks very much. Always a blast. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next 10. 11. <laughs> 11. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.